eternal hope based on what you've done for us, not based on our performance, but your performance, not based on our integrity or our consistency, but based on yours, not based on our love, but based on yours. And you've never broken a promise. You've never been faithless. You've always responded in love and mercy towards your people. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we do have. And pray that supernatural hope would be released this morning into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. That psalm is from Psalm 3. That was written by King David when Absalom, his beloved son, chose to try and take his throne, and for a time he did. David was fleeing for his life. His life was literally in peril. His son wanted to kill him. He ran. You think David was struggling with hope? You think that having your own son wanting to kill you is going gonna, is gonna to hurt you, perhaps, and cause some despair? Having your, your job, your position, your place of authority robbed from you is, is going to cause strain and, and trouble. And he prays and declares, I will lie down and sleep. And thinking that night or the next day, Absalom might send the armies, the people that have conspired against David, to try and take him out. And he's in that situation. It's dire. I mean, he can say, I'm going to lie down and sleep. Because he can look beyond the circumstances and say, I know this God who's been faithful to me all my life. And no matter how hard the circumstances are, I can rest because I have a God who's going to deliver me from this peril. We see hope in the midst of crisis. And we see hope in the midst of crisis over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. Sometimes it's hope for deliverance from an army, from somebody who's trying to, to kill you. Sometimes it's, it's hope for provision in the midst of famine. Or it could be hope for justice in the midst of injustice for God to move. It could be hope for a promised land, leaving Egypt, waiting 40 years in the wilderness for an inheritance could be hope for health. Hezekiah saw his health restored by God's mercy. could be hope for a spouse, hope for children, hope for mercy, hope for Messiah, which we focus on in the Advent season. could also be the hope for eternal life. Abraham hoped for a promised son, right? The father of faith was given a promise. An old man was given a promise. His wife was beyond childbearing. And God says you're going to have a son. 
It sounds impossible. In fact, it was impossible. Apart from supernatural intervention of God, it could never happen. God asked Abraham and his wife to believe the impossible. And Sarah laughed. Right? Sarah laughed. And I think Isaac was called, he laughs. I believe. Right? Joseph got a dream. A favored child was given a dream. He's going to have authority over even his parents, over his brothers. What happens after that? His own brothers betray him, sell him into slavery. He loses his freedom. He's unjustly treated. The opposite happens to these, these heroes of our faith. After these promises are given from God, their circumstances fall apart, right? It looks like the opposite's happening but they choose to hold on to a promise. They choose to embrace hope. But you think they struggled in the midst of these promises? I think they did. In fact, the Bible says that they did. In Psalm 105.19, it says that the word of God tested Joseph. Joseph was tested by these promises that seemed so impossible. His faith was tested. His character was tested. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 21, if you have your Bibles. It talks about Abraham's situation. Romans 4.18, it says, Against all hope. Against all hope. All the circumstances, again, with Abraham, this is an impossibility. You're going to be a father of nations. Abraham becomes Abraham, right? His very name becomes prophetic as to the promise of God that's going to be fulfilled on his life. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Right? Circumstances, impossible. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he said he promised. God had power to do what he said he'd promised. Abraham's hope wasn't based on circumstances. It wasn't based on his abilities. It was based on the character of God and God's ability to make something happen that was impossible. You know, there are actually over 3,500 promises of God in the Bible. That's a lot of promises. I don't know about you, but I've, I've spent a lot of time reading the Bible and looking at these promises, like Romans 8.28, for example. God works all things together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? I, I look at these promises in the Bible and I say, this is something I can put an anchor in. This is something that's for me that I can internalize and say this is my inheritance and there's a God behind these promises who is going to be faithful right 
And I do that. Do you do that? Anybody? I mean, can anyone just throw out any promises, any words that you're holding on to that give you hope or have given you hope? Anybody? Just throw it out. Wellness. Okay. Wellness. Any others? Bringing his good work to completion. Okay. I am confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm-hmm. Any others? Okay. Is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Okay. So we, we hold on to these promises, we believe them, and do they give us emotional strength in the time of trial, the time of hardship? Right? Like with Abraham, when circumstances said otherwise, there was a promise, there was a spoken word that he embraced, and it brought transformation to his emotional life. Right? Instead of despair, instead of hopelessness. No, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is goodness that is for me that God is preparing. If you want to define hope, it's both a noun and a verb. You know, Bob Ryan said, you know, Jesus is our hope. In that sense, Jesus is the object of our hope. Hope is a person, hope is a noun in that sense. And there's also the idea of to hope, that it's an action, it's something that we gauge, and, and it involves the heart and the mind. It involves the emotional life, right? There's an emotional component to hope, and hope is a positive emotion, right? It's uplifting, it's life-giving, but it's also based on a belief, right? It's, it's cognitive not based on a present experience or a present condition, but based on a future hope, a future promise, right? The Bible talks about us not hoping for what we already have, but hoping for what is promised for us, for what lays ahead, right? So hope is always future tense, Hopelessness. Some of us have experienced hopelessness in different areas of our lives. It could be with health. It could be with finances. It could be with some sin struggle. I'll never get free. It could be with rejection. My heart will never be satisfied. I'll never find that spouse. Whatever it may be. Some of us have struggled with depression. Some of us have struggled with suicide. Right? When, when those things happen... Our hope gets attacked severely. If that's happened to you, you're not alone. Some of the heroes of the faith were there. Job, great Job, the greatest man on all the earth, the most righteous man on all the earth. In chapter 3, he curses the day he was born. That whole chapter talks about how he loathes his life, right? That's tough. Elijah, the great man of faith, who does all these mighty exploits for God, comes to a point where he literally prays that God would take his life. He's running from Jezebel. He is at a place of emotional defeat. 2 Corinthians 1.8, the Apostle Paul, the mighty Apostle Paul, confesses that he was pressed beyond measure and he's actually despairing of life. Right? The light is getting dim. 
with these people. They acknowledge the fact that they are struggling, they are hopeless, they're going through mental and emotional turmoil. But you know what? That's not the end of the story for them, right? They, they went down to a deep place, but they reached out to a merciful God. And their circumstances changed. And their inner quality of, of emotion changed from dark to light. Because God pulled them out of the darkness. Right? So hopelessness is real. Life is hard for some of us. But God is greater than whatever our challenges are. And if we look to him, he will pull us out of the darkness, which is a wonderful thing. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's Proverbs thirteen twelve. Sometimes we hold on to these promises of God and a year might pass, another year, another year, another year. It's still not happening and it can, it can be hard, right? God, I believed. I've been waiting. I've been praying. I've been interceding and it still hasn't happened. Right? Look at Joseph. That was about 10 years for, for his promise to be fulfilled. Some of these, these people have to wait decades, uh, some of these heroes of the faith, to see their promises fulfilled, but they held on. Right? So it's important to hold on and declare the promises of God. It was worthwhile. It was worthwhile for, for Joseph to hold on, and he certainly was blessed eventually because he believed the Lord and his faithfulness. When we are hopeless, we do need support from others. The Bible talks about bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When, when you get so deep and so low, you become so emotionally weak. You become susceptible. You become susceptible to lies and spiritual attack. The Bible talks about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if I'm at that place, I need to go to safe people and say, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm struggling I'd like some support, right? And we have the opportunity to love Christ by loving our broken and hurting brothers and sisters. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's an opportunity to love people and see God bring transformation in people's lives. Psalm 103.5 is a beautiful Psalm, God satisfies our desires with good things. Well, that's wonderful. You know, the devil wants to satisfy our desires with bad things. And some of us give in. And we get hurt. But we can make a choice every day and say, God, you are good. And you've got some good things for me. And I'm going to say no to the destructive pleasure in order to say yes for your good promises that are in store for me. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. We see that in the Bible. Faith, hope, and love. Love is, you know, that's the greatest command. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what life's all about. Faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hope is placed in the, in the heights with with uh, faith and with love, hope is incredibly important for the Christian. It's incredibly important. And I believe 
that hope does have, it can have a supernatural component. I believe that God can release hope into the lives of his people, and I believe that we see evidence of that throughout history as we look in the Bible. And I'm sure there are people that maybe are struggling in different areas of their lives this morning. I'm not done with the sermon, but I want to pray just right now for a supernatural hope to be released. Okay? God cares. He gives us what we need. And all we have to do is trust and open our hearts up to him. So, Father God, we come to you right now. You are worth hoping in. And some of us really have hard, toxic, negative emotions and our thoughts are, uh, are so clouded with fear and disappointment and despair. And we just choose to lay those things down at your feet. And God, you are a God of life, of freedom. We can cast our cares on you. You are a God who picks us up, who strengthens us, who gives us good things. And I ask God that you'd release supernatural hope this morning. God, let people feel it in their hearts. Let them see it tangibly in the way they think and feel this morning. Lord, especially during the holiday season, which is hard for some, and we pray for a supernatural hope that you are going to satisfy our needs and our desires with good things. Let your love flood us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Looking at human history, the big picture, Adam and Eve were born with hope. I mean, in fact, they didn't even need hope because hope's based on a future event. They had everything. They had everything. They had love. They had a perfect creation. They, they had perfect bodies. They had perfect relationship with each other with God. They were satisfied. There's no fear. None of that. But sin enters in the world. And they get separated from God and they, they get emotionally separated from each other. Relationships get destroyed, fractured. Hearts get fractured. They get a sin nature. Right? The, the situation for, for humanity is now dire. And God is holy and they're not. The human race is not holy. Right? This ain't good. And God comes in the Old Testament and he makes a covenant with Abraham and then he makes a covenant with the descendants of Abraham through the promise. And there's some redemption that happens. A nation has a, a unique relationship with God. They get promises based on this covenant. They get blessings. They get a land, a promised land. They get promises of health and provision, prosperity, protection from their enemies. They have national sovereignty. Things are looking pretty good for them. And for a time, a short time, it, it is good. But they're still sinners of the sin nature and it falls apart. It falls apart. God is long-suffering, but they broke the covenant. They lose the land. They lose the temple. Their enemies conquer them. They no longer have national sovereignty. They are disgraced. But does God give up on them? Let's find out. Let's go to Isaiah and see if God gives up on them. One of the most beautiful 
passages of grace we find in Isaiah in chapter 9. Nevertheless, chapter 9, verse 1, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness, humans been walking in darkness for all this time, confusion, deception, oppression of sin, but Isaiah says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light has come into the world, right? The light has invaded the dark world. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Hope has come into the world. You have, in, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder, we'll jump to verse 6, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So mankind, we cannot do it on our end. We cannot establish a covenant with God. And God himself, he declares seven, about 740 years before it actually happens, he declares, I'm sending a deliverer. I'm sending a Messiah. And he's going to do what you couldn't do. You could not live a life that would bring reconciliation. So I'm going to do 100% all of it for you. And not only for the Jews, but it says in Isaiah that, that this Messiah will be a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. Ephesians 2.12 says that we were without hope and without God in the world. You realize all of the Gentiles... If you were a non-Jew, most of us are Gentiles here, there was zero hope for eternal life. I mean, all you had to look forward to was judgment. And all these people were believing in all these, these false religions. They didn't realize how hopeless and dire their situation was. But the reality is without Christ, without mercy, without grace, without God condescending and bringing restoration, our, our case is hopeless. There is nothing to hope in after this life because all, all would, that is left would be eternal punishment, eternal damnation, right? That is awful to think about that. But Isaiah 42.6 says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. God cares about Gentiles just as much as he does about Jews. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Isaiah 61, I'm going to paraphrase it, it talks about what this Messiah is going to do. It talks about what he looks like, what it looks like on the inside of this Messiah. He's going to preach the good news. He's going to bind broken hearts. He's going to proclaim freedom for the captives, comfort to all who mourn and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. 
Do you see the love? Do you see the tenderness? Do you see the grace? Do you see the mercy of this Messiah? How much he cares about every individual life and every individual heart. And he's going to use his incomparably great power to heal hearts, to set captives free. That's how he uses his power. Wise men see a star and hope is born in their hearts. They're waiting for something. People are waiting for something and they go to Bethlehem and they see a virgin who's with child, right? They see, they see that something so supernatural has happened that God himself takes on human flesh and is put in a womb and is born into a dark, broken world. They see that and they page, pay, pay homage to him. They give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And Mary treasures these things in her heart. What is this, right? A supernatural God is bringing light to a hopeless situation and as Jesus starts growing up and he starts living his life, we see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love and mercy advancing, and we see miracles of physical healing, of hopeless people getting transformation in their lives, people being touched with a love they have never experienced before. We see the mercy and grace of God. And we look to the cross, we see a perfect Jesus who perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law, all-powerful, going to a cross and dying for the sins of the world. And they said, crucify him. Let his blood be on our shoulders. And he responds with love. He takes on all their sins, all the sins of the world. And he dies. He raises from the dead. And he visits his disciples who struggled when he died and were so discouraged. It's okay. I'm here. I did it. I did it for you. He ascends into heaven. And, and he says, what you got to do is believe on me. Believe I'm the son of God. Believe I rose from the dead. You're part of a new covenant. Yeah. Right? And, and the Jews were hoping for a Messiah that would free them from the Romans, slay, or the, the Roman oppressors and, and deliver them from that. But God brought something much better, the first coming of Christ, liberation from sin, liberation from judgment, condemnation. But he brought those who believe unto him unto eternal life. Right? We hope for mercy and grace in this world, but there's something better. The, the person who has the greatest life in this world, whoever that may be, what they're experiencing now is nothing compared to what our lives will be when Christ returns. Nothing. I mean, Paul talks about this. He tasted these things in the third heaven. He said that human language doesn't even do justice to the things that God has prepared for his people. Right? We read 1 Corinthians 15, which talks about the resurrection body and the glory. Paul says that our, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? So my hope is not anchored in a good life in this world. 
I hold on to the promises of God for this world, but there's something deeper and more lasting than a, than a comfortable or a good life here, and that's the other, the other side. And in fact, the early Christians were willing to suffer. They were willing to lay down their lives because they did not put their hope in this world, but they put it in the coming kingdom, the return of Jesus. And, and the author of Hebrews says to them, you were willing, even joyfully, gladly giving up your goods and your property. They're being persecuted because you knew that God had a lasting inheritance for you that is not of this world, right? First Peter 3, 6 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish. You realize that? This house will perish, right? This beautiful house is going to perish. But God's something for, God's something for Paul Anderson that's never going to perish. Paul is 70 years old, but God's going to raise his body from the dead. Paul might feel aches and pains in his joints. You know what? But he's going to have a glorified body. And some of us have discouragement, depression, and fear, and health issues. You know what? When Christ comes, when you have your glorified body, it's all gone. He's going to wipe away every tear. That's exciting. We're going to have a perfect relationship with everybody, and the God of love is going to be so present with us and so tangible, and we're going to have a constant joy. And nobody can take that from us. There's going to be no devil that's going to attack us. There's going to be no discouragement or despair. Right? Think on these things. When we think on these things, because on the other side, there's a reality that we are, we are touching when we think on these things and respond in faith to these promises of God. And that reality comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and brings us life and strength. So my exhortation to you, and it's my exhortation to me as well, if you're struggling in this world, put your hope in who God is and put your hope on the coming of God and put your hope on the internal, eternal inheritance that is yours, that is a guarantee. The Holy Spirit's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It says that in Ephesians. We should expect sufferings. If we think that we shouldn't suffer as Christians, we're believing a lie. A lot of Christianity, the way it's painted in the West, it's all going to be a good... Paul got stoned. Paul got whipped. Paul got shipwrecked. Jesus, what happened to him? Peter got crucified. How many martyrs? We're going to be persecuted. Jesus came with a sword. There's going to be division. So if we expect comfort and ease in this world, we have unrealistic expectations. Now again, God wants us to be blessed. But there is a kingdom clash in this world. We're on the good side, but there is a clash. We have to realize that, right? So hope in, in God's promises for this world, but put a greater hope in, in the eternal promises. And with that, I'm going to conclude. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break up into groups. So Father God, we thank you for the hope that we have. 
the hope that is based on what Jesus did for us, on his merit, on his mercy. God, we thank you for resurrection bodies. God, we thank you for no more tears. We thank you for, for the reality that nothing will hinder us from experiencing your love. We thank you just for perfect relationship, perfect experience, joy unspeakable that will never be taken from us. God, we ask for the realities of your promise to, to just so invade our lives and our minds and our emotions that we rise up. We rise up and we rejoice. That it's, it's our experience. We truly rejoice because these things are real. These things are real and they're for us, God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you came and took on flesh. We thank you for your gentleness and your patience and your mercy. And we ask, Lord, that you would hold us and comfort us and heal us. Bind, bind our broken hearts, set us free from captivity and put on us, Lord, instead of, instead of our ashes, put on a crown of beauty. Restore the ancient ruins in our lives. Restore our relationships, our families, our mindsets, our attitudes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.